If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. In the world of political podcasts, there are experts, there are pundits, and then there's Tom Powell. Happy Friday, and welcome to another episode of the Second Half Podcast with Tom Powell. Remember, remember, if you're listening to this, that means you made it through another week, and margaritas are in order. And now your host, Tom Powell. All right, welcome back in, folks. As the man in the intro said, this is the Second Half Podcast, and I'm Tom Powell. And the reason why you should go get yourself margaritas this week is that there are only two weeks remaining in this shithole, godforsaken year that we call 2023. I'm in a ever so slightly better mood than I was when I made some videos for TikTok earlier in the week, but I'm still in a pretty bad place. Uh, mentally speaking, I'm I'm waiting on a PSA test to come back, and uh, it's got me very nervous. I am I am very scared right now. Waiting on those results. <clears throat> As well as many other things, I uh, I still have the issues with my wife's job, and I can't find another one for her. So that's very frustrating. And our daughter Lily is dealing with some neurological issues, and we're waiting on some test results back <clears throat> on a forty-eight hour EKG that they ran on her. Obviously, business is still looming over my head with the trucking company and whatnot, but, uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a pipe and hot mess. I'm, uh, I'm not in a very good headspace these days, and I'm trying to get into a good headspace because it has always been my job to be The one that handles shit. And I relish that job and I I try to do the very best I can on that job. And I have a holiday coming up in which I know I need to be there for a lot of different people. And I got so much shit on my mind. But that's not why you guys tune into this podcast. You tune into this podcast to hear me talk about <clears throat> politics and whatnot. You can hear my wife across the hallway in her office coughing up a lung. She's, she's battling some type of illness for going on a week now. And uh, it sucks, you know. It just, it sucks. Forgive me while I... Uh, do a little nasal maintenance. Nasal maintenance, by the way, was the name of my Green Day cover band a few years back. <clears throat> Excuse me. Mm. 
Oop. My whole goddamn Kleenex holder just came apart. There we go. Anyway, three and a half minutes into this fucking thing, uh, let me say that before we get into the news stories of the week, uh, make sure you swing by my website, which is oldhippymedia.com. That's oldhippie, H-I-P-P-I-E, media.com. There you will find almost anything you want to know about me, including links on where you can buy my books. I have two self-published books available in paperback and ebook formats. At that website, uh, you will find a link uh, to my Patreon podcast called Off Topic. If you like this to- uh, podcast, I do another to- podcast. I do two of those a month. And over there, I don't necessarily talk politics unless it comes up, but it's more uh, me interviewing somebody about their life, their life experiences, and and what they've got coming up. Uh, That's available on Patreon, and you can find a link to that at that website uh, of mine. Uh, You're going to find a a link to my store on my website, as well as links on where you can follow me on all of the various social media sites, links to other podcasts, as well as articles I've appeared in. You're going to find my blog page. I try to put out a blog article once a week now on Wednesdays. And uh, you're going to find links on how you can contact me, send me something, or support me generally. Once again, that's all at oldhippymedia.com. Make sure you go get yourself some margaritas. Check out the website. Maybe order yourself some merch. Who knows? Um... As always, during the football season, I give a brief football segment where I uh, give you my football picks for the week, sure to go wrong. Um, Last week, I went 5-9. and It was a bad week picking football. Bad week. That brings my season record to 110-85. Not a stellar picking record. Uh, I usually give you a few notes about the two teams that I talk about the most here. The Colts, my team, and the Bears, the team uh, that I am most familiar with, having living in, uh, being born and raised and currently living in the Chicagoland area. I have no notes from last week's games. Um, I will say this about last night's Thursday night game between the Raiders and the Chargers. Holy shit, they need to fire the Chargers head coach. And goddamn, the Raiders were on PlayStation mode. Put up over 40 points in the first half, a franchise record for largest lead heading into halftime. Ended the game with 63 points, a franchise record for a single game for the Raiders. And the Raiders have been around for fucking ever. So, wow, that was impressive. And to the Chargers faithful, that was rough. That that was rough. Anyway, uh, as always, with the exception of the Thursday games, uh, which we just talked about, or Thursday game, which we just talked about, this week's winners will be the Bengals, Colts, Lions, Falcons, Browns, Packers, Dolphins, Saints, Texans, Chiefs, 49ers, Rams, Bills, Ravens, and Eagles. Those are my picks sure to go wrong, as you can tell by my picking record. So if you have any kind of gray matter in that cabeza of yours, you will not bet your hard-earned money on my football picks. Don't do it, because you're going to lose your money. Okay? Having said that, let's get into the news of the week, and we begin with, oddly enough, money. The Dow Jones Industrial uh, ended on a record high this week, as the Fed announces rates will stay the same, and they expect to see lower borrowing costs in 2024. Which is really odd, considering all we keep hearing about is how we are in the worst economy ever. I'm going to read to you now from Reuters. The Dow Jones Industrial Average hit its first record-closing high since January 2022, and the S&P 500 and NASDAQ rallied more than 1% each on Wednesday after the Federal Reserve signaled that its interest rate hiking uh, policy is at an end 
and that it sees lower borrowing costs in 2024. In its policy statement, the Fed also left interest rates steady, as expected, and near unanimous a near-unanimous 17 to 19 Fed officials projected that the policy rate will be lowered by the end of 2024. Indexes were flat ahead of the announcement and quickly gained ground ahead of the, uh, after the news. Stocks sharply uh, extended gains, as Fed Chairman Jerome Powell said during a press conference, that the Fed is not likely to hike uh, further and that the Fed is very focused on not making the mistake of keeping rates too high for too long. The Fed, since March 2022, has raised its policy rate by 525 basis points in an effort to curb inflation. Quote, The statement is telling us that the Fed is seeing what the markets have already started to discount, that you're going to have inflation back to normal without a recession, said Tom Martin, Senior Portfolio Manager at Global Investments in Atlanta. We kind of hoped it was going to be this, but didn't really think it was, he added. The Blue Chip Index's first all-time high in nearly two years confirmed that it has been a bull market since tumbling more than 20% through its closing low in September of 2022, according to a common definition. The day's rally was broad-based with all major S&P 500 sectors ending higher. The rate-sensitive S&P 500 real estate and utility sectors rose more than 3% each, leading uh, sector uh, sector gains. The small-cap Russell 2000 index shot up 3.5%. The Dow Jones Industrial Average rose 512.3 points, or 1.4%, to 37,000. 90.24. The S&P 500 gained 63.39 points, or 1.3%, to 4,707.09. And the NASDAQ Composite added 200.57 points, or 1.38%, to 14,733.96. The S&P 500 and NASDAQ hit fresh closing highs for the year. The S&P 500 is now up 22.6% for the year to date, while the NASDAQ is up 40.7% in that period, and the Dow is up 11.9%. Stocks have been rising for weeks on the view that the Fed is likely done hiking rates and will shift to rate cuts next year. Following the Fed's statement, U.S. interest rates Uh, Rate futures raised the odds of a May rate cut to 90% versus 80% just before the announcement. Uh, Earlier in the day, data showed U.S. producer prices were unexpectedly unchanged in November amid cheaper energy goods. In a report on Tuesday, U.S. consumer prices unexpectedly rose in November as a decline in the cost of gasoline was more than offset by increases in rents. Bucking the day's trends, shares of Pfizer dropped 6.7, not 6.5%, after the drug maker uh, forecast 2024 revenue below Wall Street's expectations. Volume on U.S. exchanges was 14.37 billion shares, compared with the 11.04 billion average for the full session over the last 20 trading days. And what does this all mean? This means that the economy is not nearly as bad as the Republicans would have you believe. This means that we are actually in a somewhat decent economy. We are not going to wind up in a recession. We are going to see rates begin to come down. Everybody's 401k got a massive boost. And the Republicans in the election year of 2024 are not going to be able to run on the economy. They're going to push the idea of inflation being Joe Biden's problem being Joe Biden's fault, being a result of something that Joe Biden did, but they will not be able to point to a single policy that has been enacted under the Biden administration to cause inflation. They can point to record corporate profits, something that they cheer on, something that they advocate for. So uh, people are making more money. Corporations are making record profits. The Dow Jones Industrial is hitting record highs. And we're going to start to see uh, interest rates cool off in 2024 without ever having hit a recession during the Biden administration. That really does blow a massive hole in the opposition's it's-the-economy-stupid argument heading into 2024. 
So, uh, <clears throat> yay for the, the strong economy, I guess. It's going to be a hell of a year. It's going to be interesting to see what they choose to run on in 2024, and I think we already have a glimpse of that uh, by my next story here. Uh, in the next story, I would like to discuss how Hunter Biden defied a congressional subpoena this week. From AP News, Hunter Biden on Wednesday defied a congressional subpoena to appear privately for a deposition before Republican investigators who have been digging into his business dealings. He insisted he would only testify in public. The Democratic president's son slammed the GOP-issued subpoena for the closed-door testimony, arguing that information from these interviews can be selectively leaked and manipulated. And he's absolutely correct. It happens all the time from both sides. When Democrats hold closed-door meetings, there's always some kind of a leak that makes the Republicans look bad. And when the Republicans hold closed-door meetings, there's always some kind of leak that makes Democrats look bad. I happen to agree with Hunter Biden, despite the fact that I think Hunter Biden is a piece of shit. Have these hearings in public, and let's uh, hear for ourselves, as the American people, what is going on in these hearings. I don't understand why this is such an issue. Quote, Republicans do not want an open process where Americans can see their tactics, expose their baseless inquiry, or hear what I have to say, Hunter Biden said outside the Capitol in a rare public statement. What are they afraid of? I'm here, he added. GOP Representative James Comer of Kentucky, chairman of the House Oversight and Accountability Committee, has said Republicans expect full cooperation with the private deposition. Here's where it gets interesting. Comer and Representative Jim Jordan of Ohio, who leads the House Judiciary Committee, told reporters late Wednesday that they will begin looking at contempt of Congress proceedings in response to Hunter Biden's lack of cooperation. Really? That's interesting, considering Jim Jordan himself is still currently defying a congressional subpoena. He was subpoenaed during the last Congress refused to appear, and still hasn't shown up to answer questions. So a man who is currently actively defying a congressional subpoena wants somebody else held accountable for actively defying a congressional subpoena. Interesting. He just got into more trouble today, Comer said. For months, Republicans have pursued an impeachment inquiry seeking to tie President Joe Biden to his son's business dealings. So far, GOP lawmakers have failed to uncover evidence directly implicating the elder Biden to any wrongdoing. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre said the president was familiar with what his son would say. Quote, I think that what you saw was from the heart from his son, she said. They are proud of their son, she added. Democrats have been united against the Republican impeachment push, saying it is an illegitimate exercise merely meant to distract from GOP chaos and dysfunction, something we're going to get into a little bit later on in this podcast. Quote, we are at a remarkable juncture for the U.S. House of Representatives, said Representative Jamie Raskin, a top Democrat on the House Oversight and Accountability Committee, because this is an impeachment inquiry where no one has been able to define what criminal or constitutional offense they're looking for. But questions have arisen about the ethics surrounding the Biden's family international businesses, and lawmakers insist their evidence paints a troubling picture of influence peddling in their business dealings, particularly with clients overseas. There is no evidence to support the allegations that my father was financially involved in my business because it did not happen, Hunter Biden said. The White House has chalked up the whole process as a partisan smear campaign that Republicans are pushing ahead of ahead with, despite the fact that members of their own party have admitted there is no evidence to support impeaching President Biden, something that is 100% true. Uh, Republicans who have been pushing for an impeachment of Joe Biden have appeared on the various news talk shows, morning, afternoon, and evening. They've been pushed on any evidence they have linking Joe Biden to anything, and they have all had to admit on camera that they have no evidence at all. 
While Republicans have maintained that their impeachment inquiry is ultimately focused on the president himself, they have taken particular interest in Hunter Biden and his overseas business dealings from which they accuse the president of personally benefiting, once again, with no proof. Republicans have also focused a large part of their investigation on whistleblower allegations of interference in the long-running Justice Department investigation into the younger Biden's taxes and his gun use. Hunter Biden is currently facing criminal charges in two states from the special counsel investigation. He's charged with firearm counts in Delaware, alleging he broke laws against drug users having a gun in 2018, a period when he has acknowledged struggling with addiction. Special counsel David Weiss filed additional charges last week, alleging he failed to pay about $1.4 million in taxes over a three-year period. Later Wednesday, the House authorized the impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden himself. House Republicans hope to vote to formalize their investigation would help their legal standing when enforcing subpoenas to Hunter Biden and other Biden family members. Mr. Biden's counsel in the White House have both argued that the reason he couldn't come for a deposition was because there wasn't a formal vote for an impeachment inquiry, Jordan told reporters. Well, that's going to happen in a few hours. He added... And when that happens, we'll see what their excuse is then. Democrats in the White House have defended the president and his administration's cooperation with the investigation thus far, saying it has already made dozens of witnesses and a massive trove of documents available. Congressional investigators have obtained nearly 40,000 pages of subpoena bank records, dozens of hours of testimony from key witnesses, including several high-ranking Justice Department officials currently tasked with investigating Hunter Biden. One of the Justice Department officials, Leslie Wolf, the assistant U.S. attorney for Delaware, is expected to arrive for a private deposition with lawmakers on Thursday, that was yesterday, according to a person familiar with the negotiations who was granted an anonymity to discuss details that had not yet been made public. Uh, I don't like it when anybody defies a congressional subpoena. I especially don't like it when members of a president's family defy congressional subpoenas. So in my opinion, Hunter Biden should go in and sit for this deposition. He's also correct that it should be held in public. Having said that, it is fucking rich coming from Trump-supporting MAGA Republicans who themselves have continued to defy subpoenas, that defying subpoenas is now an unacceptable act. I eagerly await the Republican Party's answer to why Jim Jordan was allowed to defy a subpoena while a member of Congress, while a member of the very body that subpoenaed him. What's good for thee is good for all, is it not? I mean, are we are we in that two-tiered justice system or system of justice that the Republicans always like to talk about? Republicans can defy subpoenas. Democrats can't. Okay. Moving on. We move into Trumplandia, where Trump refused to testify in his New York fraud case and then claimed he really wanted to and blamed his lack of testimony on the judge. I'm going to read to you now from the Gazette. Former President Donald Trump, and thank God that is how we refer to him, former President Donald Trump, claimed on Tuesday that he wanted to testify again in his New York fraud trial, but was unable to do so because of the gag order imposed on him. The gag order imposed on Trump prevents him and his attorneys from making public comments about Judge Arthur Engeron's staff, but the former president claims it has taken away, quote, my constitutional right to to defend myself. I wanted to testify on Monday, despite the fact that I already testified successfully, answering all questions having to do with the fake, no victims, no jury lawsuit thrown at me by the corrupt racist AG Letitia James and presided over by a Trump-hating judge who suffers from a massive case of Trump derangement syndrome and is a puppet, puppet of the crooked AG, Trump wrote. The judge, Arthur Engeron, put a gag order on me. <laughs> Even when I testify... Totally taking away my constitutional, let me do this right, totally taking away my constitutional right to defend myself. We are appealing, but how would you like to be a witness and not be allowed free and honest speech? The trial is rigged, I did nothing wrong, three exclamation points. 
Trump announced on Sunday that he would not be testifying on Monday in the trial in the Empire State. The former president appealed the gag order to New York's highest court earlier this month, only weeks after it had been reinstated. The $250 million fraud case was levied against the Trump Organization by New York Attorney General Letitia James last year, with Engeron already finding Trump liable for the fraud claims. The non-jury trial is currently proceeding to examine six claims brought by uh, James and is expected to conclude this month. The New York case is one of several court cases the former president faces as he seeks to return to the White House with his 2024 presidential bid. And this is the bullshit that uh, he can put out there and his followers will believe. Because his followers will believe anything, literally anything he has to say. But the gag order did not prevent him from testifying. It did not prevent him from speaking freely and openly on the uh, uh, on the stand. It prevents him from attacking members of the court. It prevents him from making public statements on things like social media, disparaging and causing people to have an urge to, let's say, go after various members of the court, including and up to the AG herself. But this dumb motherfucker sold his his gullible rubes, the idea that the reason he's too cowardice to fucking uh, uh, testify in his own case is because, well, I can't. They put a gag order on me. No, they didn't. You lying bucket of liquefied dog shit. You're a coward piece of shit motherfucker who blames everybody else for your inaction. You're a fucking coward piece of shit. I hope somebody in your inner circle finds this podcast and plays it for you because you know you're a fucking coward piece of shit. You know that you are no kind of man. You are a ballless, gutless, coward motherfucker. And we are going to make sure you never soil our White House again. Enjoy prison, bitch. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Speaking of bitch, we move on to Casey DeSantis, the first lady of Florida, wife of Governor Ron DeSantis, and her encouragement for election fraud in Iowa. And no, that is not an inaccurate statement. If you haven't heard this story yet, wait until you hear this one. I'm going to read to you now from The Advocate. Seemingly unaware of how elections work, Casey DeSantis, the wife of Florida GOP Governor Ron DeSantis, and a prominent figure in his 2024 presidential campaign, has found herself at the center of controversy. Her comments about who could participate in the election process during a Fox News appearance on Friday sparked allegations of advocating for voter fraud in the lead-up to the Iowa caucuses, leading to widespread criticism. The reason why it sparked allegations of advocating for voter fraud, by the way, is because she advocated for voter fraud. (coughs) Casey DeSantis encouraged supporters, particularly mothers and grandmothers, from across the uh, the country, across the United States, to, quote, descend upon Iowa to participate in that state's upcoming caucuses. If you're unfamiliar, and you might be, they don't vote in the primary system in Iowa. They caucus. So you'll gather in, let's say, a high school gym or a VFW hall or something of that nature, an armory gymnasium. And everybody that's for DeSantis will gather over in this group, and everybody that's for Trump will gather over here, and everybody that's for Nikki Haley will gather over here, and whoever's got the biggest group wins that building, and then whoever wins the most, that wins the state. It's it's a caucus system. So it's not an actual casting of a ballot. It's a gathering of people. Her statement that you do not have to be a resident of Iowa to be able to participate in the caucuses immediately raised eyebrows. However, her remarks quickly collided with Iowa law and caucus rules with, with which strictly limit participation to legal residents of the state with valid photo identification, a favorite requirement of Republicans. Iowa students living out of state are an exception, 
as they can choose where they register. The Iowa Republican Party swiftly responded to Casey DeSantis' statement by posting clarifications on social media, emphasizing that only Iowa residents are eligible to participate in the caucuses and must present a photo ID as proof of eligibility. The incident did not escape the notice of liberal voices, with some allegating, alleging, alleging, Come on, get it together, Tom. Read your own fucking notes. Alleging that Casey DeSantis's comments amounted to encouraging voter fraud, a claim that has been consistently made by conservatives following elections they disagree with. The allegations of voter fraud have been a contentious issue in recent years, despite a lack of substantial evidence to support widespread voter claims. In response to the allegations, Casey DeSantis took to social media for some damage control. She acknowledged that voting in the Iowa caucuses is limited to registered voters in Iowa on Twitter, but also suggested that individuals from across the country could participate by volunteering to support her husband, which is not what she said. The controversy did not escape the attention of former President Donald Trump and his campaign, who capitalized on the situation. Trump's campaign issued a statement demanding clarification of the rules from Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds, a Republican, and criticizing the DeSantis campaign for its alleged support of voter fraud. And that is, at the end of the day, what she did. She thought she was going to get a bunch of people from a bunch of different states to caucus for her husband in Iowa, committing voter fraud and causing his numbers to artificially increase in the state where he is not in first place. One of two Republicans are going to win the Iowa caucuses, Trump or Nikki Haley. That's it. But this is not the first time that the DeSantis's have discussed voter fraud. Remember, Ron DeSantis in a brief conversation that was caught on camera at one of his events, events told a follower that they were going to do ballot harvesting something that is illegal so you got Ron DeSantis saying we're openly we're going to do ballot harvesting and you got Ron DeSantis's wife encouraging people from all across the country to descend upon Iowa to participate in an election in a state that they don't live in the DeSantis campaign should be dead in the water at this point in time and Ron DeSantis can never be president of this country period I move on I move on to the state of Nevada because the state of Nevada is the latest state to indict Donald Trump's fake electors from 2020. I'm going to read to you now from NPR. A Nevada grand jury on Wednesday indicted six individuals who submitted documents falsely attesting that they were the state's official uh, presidential electors and that Donald Trump won Nevada in the 2020 election. These so-called fake electors have now Uh, faced criminal charges in three swing states, Nevada, Michigan, and Georgia. Remember, in Georgia, they flipped, I believe, eight of the uh, 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 fake electors, and in Michigan, they've indicted all 16 of them, and we're waiting on them to flip. A legal settlement was was also announced Wednesday regarding false electors in Wisconsin. Nevada Republican Party Chair Michael McDonald is among those charged in the state. The other five are Jim D. Griffineard, Jesse Law, Durward Hames, Dur- what? Durward, D-U-R-W-A-R-D, James Hindle III, Sean Meehan, and Eileen Rice. The defendants face two felony charges apiece. Quote, offering a false instrument for filing and uttering a forged instrument, according to a release from the state attorney general. We cannot allow attacks on our democracy to go unchallenged, Nevada Attorney General Aaron Ford, a Democrat, said in a statement. After the 2020 election, Allies for Trump organized a group of fake electors in seven states won by Joe Biden. These purported electors signed documents that they were the duly elected and qualified presidential electors for their states. They were not. Those states include Michigan, in, uh, where in July the Democrat State Attorney General announced charges against 16 people posing as electors, and Georgia, where fake electors were included in Fulton County uh, District Attorney Fonnie Willis's sweeping racketeering indictment. In uh, the Georgia probe, probe, former Trump attorney Kenneth Cheeseborough pleaded guilty in October to one felony count of conspiring to commit filing false documents. Cheeseborough authorized memos excuse me, detailing how Republicans could send false slates of presidential electors to Congress. Cheeseborough was listed on the Nevada indictment as a witness. 
The news out of Nevada came hours after a unique civil settlement was announced in Wisconsin, as I mentioned earlier. There, 10 individuals who served as fake Trump electors acknowledged their part in an attempt to overturn the 2020 election. In a joint statement, the 10 defendants wrote, in part, we oppose any attempt to undermine the public's faith in the ultimate result of the 2020 presidential election. We hereby withdraw the documents we executed on December 14, 2020, and request that they be disregarded by the public and all entities to which they were submitted. The announcement of the Wisconsin settlement noted that litigation continues against two former Trump attorneys in that state, one of whom is Cheeseboro. Uh, They tried to falsely steal the election in multiple states where Trump lost. They got caught, and now state by state is going through and dealing with the fake electors, and the fake electors are just regular Joes. You and I could be an elector for our state, and it's usually some regular old folks in a given state that are the electors. And these people are not going to go to prison for Donald Trump. They're just not. In every state where these fake electors were indicted, watch for at least some of them to begin cutting deals, uh, as they have in Georgia already, to keep their own asses out of prison. This thing in Nevada, it carries each one of those people. They got two felony counts, uh, two felony indictments apiece. Those two felony indictments carry a minimum, minimum of one year in prison each. They're dead nuts guilty. Everybody in the fucking world knows it. So all of those regular old folks in Nevada who served as fake electors for Donald Trump are looking at a minimum of two years in prison unless they start cutting deals and turning on them. Would you go to prison for two years for Donald Trump? I wouldn't go to prison for two minutes for Donald Trump. I can't imagine anybody would be willing to go to prison for two years for that sack of shit. So, we'll continue to watch these fake elector stories. Now we need to move on to a rather disturbing story. And it's a disturbing story because it shows you just how fascist the Republican Party is willing to get with their Christo-fascism rule. And of course, I'm talking about the story of Kate Cox out of Texas. And if you're not familiar with this story, holy shit. This is a shining example of why elections matter and why, if you are a woman, you need to get the fuck out of red states immediately. I'm going to read to you now from AP News. Kate Cox, whose fetus had a a fatal condition, did not qualify for an abortion in Texas. Not after four emergency room visits, elevated vital signs, risks of a uterine rupture, and with her ability to have more children in jeopardy. The Texas Supreme Court's rejection of the mother of two's request for an exception under the state's restrictive ban has laid bare the high threshold women in many states must meet to get the procedure. Pregnancy complications that pose life-threatening danger to the mother. These laws reflect the policy choice that the legislation has made, and the courts must respect that choice, the court's nine Republican justices said in their ruling late Monday. The state's Republican attorney general had, for a week, argued that Cox did not meet the standard for an exception, despite appeals from her attorneys that her health was deteriorating. Hours before the order came down, Cox's attorney said she would no longer wait for the procedure and had already left Texas to get an abortion in another state. The decision galled doctors and opponents who say it is, uh, it underscored how even though such bans allow abortions to save a mother's life, the laws are vague and how close to death a patient must be to get the procedure. Fourteen states have banned abortions at nearly all stages of pregnancy since the U.S. Supreme Court decision last year in Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health, which upended the right to an abortion. The outcome in Texas drew condemnation from the White House, which criticized Republican abortion policies and called them out of step. This should never happen in America, period, President Joe Biden said in a statement on Tuesday. Public polling has shown that a majority of U.S. adults want abortion to be legal, at least in the initial stages of pregnancy. 
Dr. Clayton Alfonso, an OBGYN at Duke University, said things can go from being really okay to really bad really quickly during pregnancy. He said that with so many nuances in medicine, it's often difficult to know what will lead to a death. Things just don't fit the strict legal guidelines of black and white, Alfonso said. Texas's ban is one of the most restrictive in the U.S., and backers of the law say it worked as designed this week, even while acknowledging Cox's tragic circumstances. On Tuesday, however, there was no reaction from Republicans in Texas who championed the state's ban. The offices of Texas Governor Greg Abbott, the state's GOP lieutenant governor, and the Speaker of the House did not return messages seeking comment, which is odd considering they are so hardcore adamant against abortion. You would think that this would be an opportunity for them to stand in front of the microphones, stand in front of the cameras, address the American people and say, see, this is what we're talking about. This is what we wanted. Why are you guys hiding from comment? You got what you wanted. A woman whose life was on the line, who already has two kids and wants another, was denied an abortion in your state based on your policies, and you're hiding from making a statement, you coward motherfuckers. States with bans in the U.S. have provisions to allow abortion to save the life of the woman. There's a patchwork of policies for other exceptions, including for pregnancies caused by rape or incest. In the states with the most restrictive policies, abortion is generally allowed if doctors find it necessary to prevent the pregnant woman from irreversible impairment of a major bodily function, but not to protect her health in other ways, including mental health. Texas Right to Life President John Sago, whose group opposes abortion and has helped push through some of the state's restrictive laws, said that they want doctors to intervene immediately if there is a life-threatening condition. But he said Cox's lawsuit never demonstrated that that was the case. When we look at this case, it is a very tragic situation of a child that has a negative diagnosis. But in Texas, uh, but in, in Texas law, we have a very strong position that we are going to give every child in Texas a chance at life, Sago said. Nationally, about 700 women die each year because of pregnancy or delivery complication. Uh, complications. Doctors worry that delaying an abortion could mean a slightly uh, riskier procedure, especially when the pregnancy is further along. While they stress that abort abortion is safe at all points of pregnancy, with an overall complication rate of 2%, the procedure does carry additional risks as the pregnancy progresses. Doctors and researchers say abortion delays have grown more common since Roe v. Wade. Uh, was overturned. One big reason for delays is the increasing need to seek care out of state. Some state lawmakers took steps this year to clarify their laws. In Texas, for instance, they added a provision that offers doctors some legal protection when they end pregnancies in cases of premature rupture of membranes or ectopic pregnancies. For Cox, tests confirmed late last month that the baby she was carrying had a condition called trisomy 18, an extra chromosome that made it likely the baby would die in utero or shortly after birth. Dr. Andrea Hinkle, a clinical assistant in the Department of Obstetrist, motherfucker, you know what I'm trying to say, and gynecology, and a complex family planning subspecialist at Stanford Healthcare in Palo Alto, California, said trisomy 18 is associated with an increased risk of gestational diabetes, preterm birth, and cesarean birth. She said additional cesareans, Cox already has two children born by C-section, are inherently more risky, especially if Cox, Cox wants to have children in the future. I think that's where I really struggle right now, is when legislators get in the way of patients making the best plan outside of knowing their specific goals and desire, Hinkle said. When I said at the beginning of this story, women need to get the fuck out of red states, I wasn't being exaggeratory. I wasn't, it wasn't hyperbole. I wasn't trying to, to uh, flare a story up for sensationalism. If you were a woman and you were living in a red state, you need to get the fuck out. And to my daughters 
and granddaughters who are listening. I know I have one daughter and two granddaughters living in a red state right now. I can't do anything about that. I wish I could get them out of that red state. And I don't even know if they would want to leave that red state. Because the red state they live in, Indiana, is a beautiful state. Filled with wonderful people. Just really shitty laws and politics. Uh, To my other two daughters, Magnolia and Lily, please do not ever move to a red state. Jesus, Mary, and motherfucking Joseph, don't ever move to a fucking red state. This is what is happening in red states. And oh, by the way, this is what they want to do nationally from a federal standpoint. They want shit like this to be handled nationally, even in blue states, where blue people... Democrat, liberal people want abortion access to remain legal. They don't give a fuck. They want to do away with that particular state's right because it conflicts with their ideas and they want to have a federal ban on abortion where federal bureaucrats bureaucrats will be the ones determining whether or not you can get an abortion as you're laying there potentially dying. Because the Republican Party in 2023 is run by Christo-fascists. Period. It's not it's not an exaggeration. They are Christo-fascist. Right-wing Christian conservative fascism has taken hold in this country in a big, big, big way in recent years. And the only remedy for it is voting in numbers that cannot be undone. Voting in numbers that cannot be disputed. Voting in numbers that cause... Uh, even the staunchest of red states to shake in their boots. That's the only way this ends. It's the only way this changes. So if you are not already registered to vote in the 2024 elections, you need to get registered to vote. You need to make sure your family and friends are registered to vote. You need to make sure your co-workers are registered to vote. You need to make a plan to vote. Make a plan to take people to the polls with you. Get as many people as you possibly can to the polls because elections matter. Case in point, My next story, the House formally launches impeachment probe into Joe Biden. I'm going to read to you now from NBC News. The GOP-controlled House on Wednesday voted to authorize its impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden, a formal step Republicans believe will grant them the ability to better enforce their subpoenas in the courts. The 221 to 212 vote was along party lines with all Republicans voting yes and all Democrats voting no. The impeachment power resides solely with the House of Representatives. If the majority of the House now says we're in an official impeachment inquiry as part of our constitutional duty to do oversight, that carries weight. That's going to help us get these witnesses in, Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan of Ohio said. Once again, somebody who is still actively defying congressional subpoenas. Earlier Wednesday, Republicans had hoped to depose the president's son, Hunter Biden. already told you about that story. Uh, But they went ahead and did this impeachment inquiry, which means they're going to officially look into impeaching Joe Biden. Uh, But the funny part about it is, is they can't say for what. So the the head of the chair, uh, the chair of the committee, my apologies, uh, that was overseeing the conversation, the debate about whether or not to launch an, uh, an impeachment inquiry, um, was asked by a Democratic member what crimes they were looking into. And the, the, the committee chair said, well, we're, we're going to do an inquiry to see what's out there, to see what we need to get into. And, and, and the Democratic member came back and said, again, I understand what you're saying, but in in order to launch an inquiry, one would think that you would have a crime that you were looking at, a potential crime that you think he committed. So what crime is it that you think he committed that's causing you to launch an impeachment inquiry? And the, the chair of the committee said, uh, high crimes and misdemeanors. They can't even name the crime because they don't have any fucking evidence of a crime that committed by Joe Biden. Maybe Hunter Biden committed some crimes. We don't know. And if he did, lock his ass up. I'll tell you what. If Hunter Biden committed some crimes, try him, convict him, incarcerate him, and throw the fucking key away. And I will make this promise to you right now. I will never, ever vote for Hunter Biden in a single election ever in my entire life. Deal? Now, what crimes are you looking into 
from Joe Biden. I know you guys think he enriched himself from some kind of international dealings, but you have no proof of it. You can't nail him down on anything. All of his financial statements, all of his taxes, unlike the other guy, are made public for fucking years. I think maybe even decades. I don't know. But definitely years worth of his uh, his uh, tax statements, his financial statements. They're, they're all out there. There's nothing to hide. So what, you guys think that he's got a billion dollars in his pillowcase? Think he's hiding it under his mattress? You guys can't produce a single fucking ounce of evidence for a single fucking crime. Yet here we are. We're going to go down the impeachment road. Why? Because their guy got impeached. Because their guy committed crimes from the fucking day he got into office to the day he fucking left office. He wound up getting impeached twice for those crimes, and they just can't fucking handle it. They can't stand the fact that Donald Trump was impeached twice, then lost his election, so their payback is we're going to impeach anybody we can. The president, the vice president, the secretary of defense, the interior secretary, secretary of homeland security, whoever the fuck it is. Marjorie Taylor Greene has a list of people she wants to impeach a fucking mile long. So, here we go. Now, to anybody listening who's maybe worried about what this might mean, a couple of things. First, this is the launching of an inquiry. This means they're going to ask questions about whether or not they should impeach Joe Biden. Okay, That's going to take a minute. Maybe they get around to having an official impeachment vote in 2024. Maybe they don't. But if they don't, they're going to be in a a bit of a spot if they lose the election in 2024 and Democrats take over the House in 2025. We'll see. Maybe that's part of their 2024 election strategy. They believe that firing up their base and pissing off everybody else in the country outside of their base is the way to go. I don't know, but I do know this. If they have the votes to impeach Joe Biden, and I'm not convinced that they do. Remember, they lost, one of their members just got fucking bounced, uh, Santos. So they lost uh, one uh, vote as far as having an advantage. And they only had like a four or five vote advantage. McCarthy is out at the end of the month. So this is not getting done in the next two weeks ahead of the holidays. So they're going to have McCarthy's vote be gone. The special election that's going to be held early in the year to fill Santos' seat is most likely going to, most likely going to result in a Democrat being elected. Hang on one second. As it is a Democratic um, district that freakishly went to a Republican in the last election. <clears throat> so not only did they lose a vote uh, advantage by losing Santos, but they're probably going to lose a, a, it's going to be a double, they're going to lose a seat and the Democrats are going to gain a seat. So listen, listen, I don't think that they have the votes to impeach Joe Biden to begin with, but let's say they eke out just enough votes to impeach Joe Biden in the House of Representatives. It goes nowhere in the Senate, just like Donald Trump's did, because Republicans controlled the uh, the Senate. And besides, even if they didn't control the Senate, you need far too many votes. You need, I believe, 67 senators to vote for it in order to remove Joe Biden. Well, 52 senators are Democrats. Let's say you get two of those senators. Let's say you get Manchin and Cinema, and they're going to vote to remove Joe Biden after he's impeached in the House. And there's only 50 Democrats that vote no. Where are the other 17 coming? Sorry, scratch that, back it up. I'm listening to my wife cough across the hallway, and it does concern me a little bit. And if she just sneezed, and I wanted to say, bless you, but if I do, she's going to think I'm done with my podcast, and I, I, I've got a little bit left to go. Anyway, there aren't enough votes to remove them in the Senate, is my point. There just aren't. You're not going to get, if you had 50 Republicans and or 48 Republicans and two Democrats vote to remove him, you still need 17 more Democrats to vote to remove him in the Senate. And you, that's not going to happen. And that's if they have the votes at all. So what, we, what we're seeing here is we're seeing the Republican uh, caucus in the House of Representatives continue to waste your time and your money. 
they have done jack fucking shit for the American people since uh, taking uh, control in January of this year. They they won control of the House in last year's November election. They were seated this year in January, and they have done nothing but investigate everybody that has pissed them off. Nothing. And, and here's the proof. My last story of the week. Here's the proof. They are the second least productive Congress in American history. I'm going to read to you now from Yahoo News. With only 21 bills making it into law. Now, this this story happened, like, I think in August. But just read the whole, let me read the whole story, and then let's discuss this briefly. With only 21 bills making it into law halfway into November, sorry, not August, November, my apologies, the 118th Congress, controlled by Republicans in the House and Democrats in the Senate, is the mo- is on the most sluggish pace to make laws since the Congress that met during the 1931 and 1932 session. Back then, Herbert Hoover was president. The Great Depression had started, and... Oh, shit, what happened to my notes? Sorry. Whoo! Kind of went all over the place. Back then, I apologize, Herbert Herbert Hoover was president. That's a hard name to say. Herbert Hoover. Who the fuck is named Hoover and then names their kid Herbert? Anyway, Herbert Hoover was president, the Great Depression had started, and talking movies were still new. Representative Chip Roy of Texas, part of a group in the House that has stopped several spending bills from advancing uh, to the Senate, saw his frustration boil over on the House floor Wednesday. One thing, I don't know if you guys remember this video, one thing, I want my Republican colleagues to give me one thing, one, that I can go back and campaign on and say that we did. Anybody sitting in the complex, if you want to come down to the floor and come explain to me one meaningful, significant thing the Republican majority has done, I'm listening. And he was dead right. And Chip Roy is a far-right Republican, but he's dead right when he said that last month. I got nothing I can go back home and campaign on. We haven't done shit. He's right. The lack of productivity puts a punctuation mark on the first half of a Congress that has managed to do the bare minimum, fund the government, raise the debt ceiling, while also embarrassing itself with the first ever ouster of a House Speaker mid-session, a subsequent three-week-long search for a new one, and most recently, a threatened fight between a senator and a committee witness. The center of the embarrassment has been the GOP-controlled House, which has struggled to pass anything of consequence with its its razor-thin four-seat Republican majority. The Senate, meanwhile, has been content to deal with the rare legislation the House spends over, sends over while grasping for bipartisan deals on immigration and aid to Ukraine. You either laugh or you cry, right, said Representative Maxwell Frost, Democrat of Florida, the Gen Z freshman congressman. It's sad, and it just shows the Republican majority isn't fit to govern, he added. Congress's approval rating sat at just 13% in October, according to Gallup. 13%. God damn. At 13%, none of them should get their fucking jobs back. Now, I don't give a fuck if you got an R next to your name, a D next to your name, an I next to your name. At 13%, none of you motherfuckers should have your job back. None of you. HuffPost checked to see how late in the year it took previous Congresses to pass their 21 public laws, their first 21 public laws, using Congress's own website as well as compilations of laws passed in each Congress called U.S. Statutes at Large. President Joe Biden signing a bill requiring the Department of Veterans Affairs to allow easier access to claims information brought the total number of laws made to 21 through Monday. That is the latest it has taken a Congress to get to 21 votes since the 72nd Congress which only saw its 21st law to amend a bridge uh, construction authorization in in Michigan, enacted on February 5th, 1932. Wow. Adding to the bad look, Congress didn't even start meeting in 1931 until December, meaning they managed to get 21 laws in just three months. Prior to the 20th Amendment, which also changed when presidents took their oath of office from March to January, the lame duck session of the previous Congress, uh, sessions held after elections but before a new Congress was sworn in, ran much longer, typically from December 
uh, of the election year to March of the new year. In turn, Congress would often not start meeting for the first of the two annual sessions that make up each Congress until December, unless called to Washington by the president. Of the 21 laws made by Congress so far this year, one was merely to keep the government open, which expires uh, at that point in time, expires Friday. Two were to name local veterans affairs clinics after people. One was to require the Treasury Department to mint a commemorative coin marking the 250th anniversary of the U.S. Marine Corps. And one was to nullify a local law passed by the City Council of Washington. To be fair, the 118th Congress has not spent much time voting on renaming post offices, which has padded stats for previous Congresses. Those renamings accounted for fully 64 of the previous Congress's 362 laws. And while it does not take, while it does take, my apologies, two chambers to tango when it comes to passing bills, the House has by far had the tougher time getting its act together this year. It started in January when it took 15 rounds of voting to settle on Representative Kenneth McCarthy as the Speaker. Late spring was dominated by around-the-clock talks on how to avoid debt default. And then the House was paralyzed over three weeks in October after McCarthy's ouster when uh, Representative Mike Johnson of Louisiana became the new Speaker. All of that turmoil has left scars. Earlier this week, McCarthy was accused of elbowing one of the eight Republicans who voted to oust him, and a Republican chairman referred to a Democrat as a smurf. Yeah, you heard that right. With that backdrop, House Republican leaders threw up their hands and let lawmakers go home a day early Wednesday when conference highlighters blocked votes on two more spending bills. The picture is, however, less bleak if you believe that a Congress that does not does the least does the best. Former House Speaker John Boehner made this argument when asked about the performance of the 2011-2012 112th Congress, the first one with a GOP-led House following the midterm elections during President Barack Obama's first term. Quote, most Americans think we have too many laws, and what they want us to do is repeal more of those laws. So I reject the premise to the question, he said. So that was back in November. 21 laws. They've since passed another law. And now we are two weeks from the end of the year. Nothing's going to get done. No more laws are going to get passed. So this Congress is officially the second least productive Congress in the history of the United States. They've done nothing. Jack shit to help the American people. They haven't repealed those laws that Boehner said they should repeal. They haven't made new laws to help the American people. They've named a few post offices and they've investigated a whole bunch of people and managed to barely keep the government open. They have done jack shit. And that is why elections matter. When Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats had the Congress... Uh, head House of Representatives, they were productive as fuck. They were passing laws to help the American people. They were passing laws to better the American society. When the Republicans are in office, all they do is investigate their enemies, and they don't get shit done, and they still get paid the same amount of money. So in my opinion, this Congress has stolen their paychecks. Please remember this in 2024, when it's time to walk into a voting booth, and vote again. Elections matter. All right, folks, that's all I got for you this week. I am hoping to have a whole new episode, uh, a whole new episode next Friday. So tune in then for hopefully another whole new episode. Uh, in the meantime, make sure you swing by my website. Once again, that's oldhippymedia.com. Oldhippiepiemedia.com. Order yourself a book. Get yourself a hoodie, follow me on the various social media accounts, and, and go subscribe to my other podcast. I've got a lot of good interviews up there. I've got another one coming up next week. We've got a ton of great interview guests coming up in the new year, and uh, I think you're going to enjoy some of the content that's being put out over there, all right? Well, have yourself a good weekend. Make sure you tune in next Friday, and until then, as always... Stay grateful.